The records don't lie, but your ancestors might. Welcome to The Criminal Genealogist, where true crime and genealogy intersect. Hello, my criminal genies. I'm your host, Michelle Bates, and I'm excited you're here for another episode of The Criminal Genealogist, where true crime and genealogy intersect. A bit of housekeeping before we get started. If you want to support this podcast, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, or whatever options you have where you listen to your favorite podcast. You can visit us at thecriminalgenealogist.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Links are below. All the sources I use for this research are in the show notes. Thanks, and let's get started. Today's story was sent to me by Lee H., a Twitter follower, who actually sent me several good stories. I chose to start with the story of Thurman Morris, who was Lee's mom's great uncle. The family story was that Thurman Morris was working for Wells Fargo, and a big postal shipment came in the front door, and good old Uncle Thurman took the money and went out the back door. Turns out the story was not about Wells Fargo or her great uncle, but rather his son, Homer Morris, and his stealing from the United States Postal Service in 1908. What I found when I started research on this family was so much more than I expected. Buckle up. It's a good one. There are so many directions to go with this family, so let's start with Homer and his parents. Homer William Morris was born on July 9, 1888 or 1889 in Beatrice, Gage County, Nebraska, to John Thurman Morris and Zoa Sophia Haskins. Homer's dad is often found in records under his middle name Thurman, so I shall refer to him under that name going forward. Thurman and Zoa married on December 11, 1888 in Wilbur, Saline County, Nebraska. This means that if Homer was born in 1888, as some records indicate, then he was five months old when his parents married. If he was born in 1889, then he was born seven months after they married. According to the Social Security Death Index and Homer's World War II draft registration card, he was born in 1888. These both give specific dates, unlike census records, so the 1888 date is more likely to be true. There is no 1890 census record available to confirm his age right after his birth, which would have helped to further verify. Homer's dad, Thurman, was born in Columbia, Meigs County, Ohio, in 1866 to William Morris and Selena Margaret Reed. Despite the error in the 1870 census record stating that he was 11 years old, actually the age of his brother, everything else points to the 1866 date. By 1880, the family had moved to Nebraska. Homer's mom, Zoa, was born on April 23, 1870 in Lake Odessa, Iona County, Michigan, to William Valmore Haskins and Sophia Louise Ann Croft. Zoa had several full and half siblings that would need its own podcast to go through, but her older brother, who was a full sibling, was named Homer, who we can suspect was whom she named her son after. So we know by 1889 that Thurman and Zoa are married with the new baby, Homer Morris. This is where the story takes a turn and unfortunately not a good one. 
1892, the family was living in Goddard, Sedwick County, Kansas, and Zoa was pregnant with twins. According to newspaper articles, Thurman abandoned his family, leaving Zoa with a four-year-old and twins on the way. The twins, a boy and a girl, were born on October 21st, 1892. Zoa was not feeling well and having trouble caring for the baby, so a neighbor offered to help watch the baby girl. The neighbor, as Zoa called her in a newspaper article, was named Jean or Jenny Fitch. Zoa had visited her baby three times, but on the third trip, the neighbor and her baby were gone. The baby girl was named Edith Myrtle Morris. No known name for the baby boy that died three months after his birth. Some news articles state that the baby girl was three months old when they offered to care for her, which might explain why they didn't offer to care for the baby boy, because he was probably already passed by then. The mom and me aches for this mother. The genealogist in me wants to find every living descendant in this family and have them DNA tested so we can find out what happened to baby Edith. Shortly after the kidnapping, Zoa received a letter from Perry, Oklahoma, stating that the baby was seriously ill and received a later note that said the baby had died. Likely a ruse so that the mother would stop looking for her baby. Perry is about 110 miles just south of Goddard for perspective. Let's not forget that this was 1892 and not 2021, because I know many of you are thinking, why would you let a stranger take your baby? Nowadays, we are too skeptical, as we should be, to let a stranger or even an acquaintance care for our child. But in 1892, things were different, even though evil still lurked around the corner. Zoa never gave up finding her daughter throughout her life, and we'll talk more on that later. On September 19th of 1893, Zoa filed for divorce in Sedgwick County, Kansas, from her husband, John Thurman Morris, on grounds of gross neglect of duty and habitual drunkenness for the past two years. And she requested custody of the children. My guess is that they have it listed as children instead of a child because the whereabouts of the baby girl were still not clear. Two more notices are posted in the paper, and it doesn't appear that Thurman ever answered the petition, so the divorce was granted and she was given full custody of their children. On November 27, 1895, Zoa married Albert Ira Rosenstiel in Wichita, Kansas. A newspaper article tells of their marriage day, saying that they had gone that morning to apply for a license and beg the judge to marry them that day too, which he did. It states it was Thanksgiving Day, but Thanksgiving that year was on the 28th. So either the article is wrong to include Zoa and Albert or the wrong date is on the marriage license. Zoa and Albert had five children together from 1898 to 1912. Homer was 10 years older than his oldest half-sibling and 24 years older than the youngest. The last time Homer is in the census recorded living with his mom is in 1910. Let's backtrack a bit and talk about Homer and what happened when he was caught for stealing from the U.S. Postal Service in 1908. The robbery of the post office was in Omaha, Nebraska, and we know that our Homer Morris was in Gore, Oklahoma in 1910, which is 450 miles away. 
I couldn't find anything to show that our Homer Morris was in Oklahoma in 1908. But after researching the Homer Morris involved in the robbery, it is found that he was from Melbourne, Iowa, and had no relation to our Homer Morris. The robbery suspect was born in October of 1888 to Andrew J. Morris and Emily A. Wood, our first criminal story that turns out not to be a criminal. Luckily, our Homer went on to lead a normal and hopefully happy life. He married Ona D. Gilbert in May of 1910 in Medford, Oklahoma. Their first child, the only son, Wayne, was born the next year in 1911. Ironically, Homer's mom, Zoa, would have her last child the following year. I wonder how he felt about having a newborn and a sibling the same age. Homer and Ona went on to have four more children, all girls, one born in Oklahoma like her brother, and the rest born in Wichita, Kansas. Homer did come very close to a crime in his life, though unaware the crime was happening at all. He was a soft drink delivery man and was delivering to Steen's Market in Wichita in January of 1955. Upon entering the store, he saw the owner, Dale Steen, talking to two men and asked Steen how many cases he wanted, to which Steen replied five. Homer delivered the five cases and said his goodbye before realizing later a robbery was occurring. There is a picture in the Wichita paper of Homer and Mr. Steen with an article discussing what happened. Homer's mom, Zoa, died on the 7th of January, 1963, at the age of 93. And sadly, Homer died just a few months later on the 14th of September. At the time of his death, his obituary states he left behind his widow, Ona, all of his children, 16 grandchildren, and 12 great-grandchildren. He was 75 years old. Now, I didn't forget about Homer's dad in all of this. Thurman, we know, abandoned his family in 1892, and the story is he remarried in Skip Town to Washington State. The story is sort of happened that way. Uh, after leaving his family and wife in 1892, Thurman remarried to Nanny Wright in Beatrice, Nebraska, where he previously lived. We then find him marrying Marguerite Petit on March 17, 1899, also in Patrice. No record of what happened to Nani, but presuming they divorced or she died. Thurman was found in Washington State in 1912, so the story was true, just not right after he abandoned his young family. There is a record of a Mr. and Mrs. John T. Morris welcoming a son in Tacoma, Washington in January of 1912, which could be our John T., but there are a couple of John T. Morrises in the area at the same time. Apparently, Thurman was good at disappearing and did the same with his job, a job that he committed fraud to get as well. Records show that he applied on January 25, 1912, to the U.S. Northern Pacific Railway Company as a bridge watchman. There is a notice in his personnel file stating that he took a leave of absence for an illness, and when they went to go check up on him to see how he was doing, the personnel file stated that they found out that he had been out of the hospital and disappeared with no word. He listed in his application his previous work experience, which Thurman stated was five years in Colorado as a bridge watchman. In the personnel file, there are letters going back and forth between Colorado and Washington, with a contact in Colorado stating they had never heard of John T. Morris, and he never worked for them. 
It's not clear why they hired him to begin with, if he lied, but perhaps they didn't find this out until later. Thurman died at the age of 76 on January 20, 1942, in Tacoma, Washington. His obituary doesn't mention any children or a wife. I was just about to wrap this up when I remembered I didn't finish the story of the missing baby girl, Edith. Zoe never gave up searching for her baby girl and followed up on every lead she heard about with the support of her husband, Albert. All of them led to dead ends. In a newspaper article from December 1949, 50 years after her baby was stolen, Zoe is quoted as saying, If I could find her, I would be so happy I wouldn't know what to do. Zoa died not knowing what happened to her baby girl, but wouldn't it be nice to see if we could find out? If the baby survived and went on to have her own kids, perhaps there are descendants who could help answer the questions. So if you are a descendant of Zoa or Thurman and want to help, reach out to me at thecriminalgenealogist at gmail.com or contact me on my Facebook page. Perhaps we can find the answers so that Zoa can finally rest in peace. Until next time, my criminal genies, remember, records don't lie, but your ancestors might.